On today's episode, Dave interviews Paul Valancourt. Paul co-founded with Sharna Halpern IO West. He's a well-respected teacher at IO, having studied with Del Close. He's appeared at UCB in New York, and in television, he's been on The Drew Carey Show, Girls Behaving Badly, and the UPN sitcom Half and Half. Paul has written for MTV, VH1, USA, Oxygen, Bravo, and AMC. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Students that I've had at Second City, when I was at Second City, so I've gone, I've been gone four years oh, wow. over there, so a lot of these people. And the great thing about a lot of these students is these are people that, time forgot, uh, at Second City, they kind of fell through the cracks and they never really, uh, they just weren't performers. Mm-hmm. So there's a guy named David Wheatley who's really great. He's a big-headed guy. And when I say big-headed, I mean he's got a big head, plus he's very smart. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that are tough to teach sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but David has been, he's Canadian. That, you know, he's, at, right, he's got sure. that disadvantage as well. Because <laughs> um, he wants to be fucking polite all the time. Sent me... Um, this is the most boring way to start. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's real. Yeah, right? But I like how it is. I mean, I've listened to a few, and there's like no ramp up. It's just sort of like a gentle sort of like fade in on it, action it, already in action. Exactly. It's like a good scene. Uh, so we start, and, and then we just keep going. And what ends up happening is like a good herald. At the end, it somehow it wraps up. Somehow there is callback. Yeah. I think I'm forcing it now. I'm calling out the <laughs> Gossamer Wings. And I'm going, look, there's Gossamer Wings, the game of the scene. Um, uh, and then everyone's while, there's just a shock. And then, and then there are people like uh, people that I've had in the show where I go, I, I could talk to you for another three hours. Uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I mention a lot, Carl Gottlieb. Uh-huh. You know who Carl Gottlieb I is? I don't. He wrote this movie called Jaws. And he wrote this movie called The Jerk. I've and heard he of both of those this television show called the, the Smothers Brothers. He wrote on that. Oh, yeah. He is a friend of a guy named Steve Martin. Mm. And nah, you know, it was a while ago. It was a, you, you. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. Yeah. So these guys at the drop-in class, there. Uh, so there's David, who is a. He, he his forte is he does pipe organ. He does. He did the pipe organ. He like plays pipe organ at the uh, the cathedral downtown. Uh-huh. He's played that a number of times. I've seen him play it. He's a student of mine, and he plays fucking pipe organ. What? Um, and then there's Ed, who's probably 85, and he's in my class, and I'm making it sound like, hey, like it's a rogues gallery, but these guys rock. They right. rock. Right. Um, and then these people will tell other people, and I've had a consistent 12 to 14 people Oh, wow, class. that's great. It really is great. And it's all like, Dell. what do you remember about Dell's class? Um, it was uh, frightening. In what like way? sort of going into it because it was just like it's Dell's class. Here we go. Everyone's got to up their game, you know. Because he's like, if not, he's like pulls out money and buys you out of the class and sends you on I your way. Just you know? tell him that story where someone goes, "I paid good money for this class." And he opens his wallet and he fucking hands you money. Right, totally. Goes, Get out, and there was this girl that was like to- kind of nuts. I remember one time he bought her out of class and stuff. It was just like not about the money. No. So it was no. like frightening in that. And then also it was like that was sort of like the ultimate goal. Like when at the time, you know, when you came to Improv Olympic, you wanted to study with Dell. So you were like, I, this is the, what I want to do. This is, uh, this is the kind of the finish line in some ways, you know. Right. But the starting line in so many other ways. So and, and you knew that he was where you and I as teachers, or at least I do, you sort of couch what you're saying or phrase it in a certain way. And he just shot from the hip. And some days it was your day to get totally torn down then you'd like build yourself back up and do it again you know <laughs> so it was like crazy um yeah that's i remember that too i remember him going off on people i've told the story before but he made mick cry wow he made mick cry in, so i think class is on thursday he made mick cry on thursday and he and i've talked to mick about this broke him down on thursday the next thursday he was it was like he and he and mick had gone camping that weekend and settled everything <laughs> but can you imagine camping with Dell? Oh boy. So um, no, and I take some of that shooting from the hip too, because I, I I can't I don't want to watch a scene. I don't want to watch a scene on the side, lie on the side of the train tracks, right? And go because I'm going to go. You're, you're running off the rail right now. Fucking get to it. Stop talking about what you're talking about right now. Just stop it. Right. You know. And that's but that's sort of something that you've earned over time. Right. And I think as a teacher, you sort of earn that over time where you get a certain amount of like, I don't know if it's credit or you give yourself credibility or whatever, but you eventually sort of just say kind of what's on your mind. Dell came in saying what's on his mind, not and really with no censor. 
You know, like right. one time we were doing something, we we're doing like a scene painting thing and it was, uh, we were like in a, in the back of a truck and it was like hanging with, with ro- the stench of rotting meat. And he's like, on the stench of rotting meat, let's stop. You're like, God damn it. And then he proceeded to tear us all down and we go, okay, let's do it again. You know? <laughs> but that's what you wanted. That's sort of like the, if it had been any other way, I would have probably been disappointed. Really. I, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. I, I had come from Geese Theater Company performing in prisons and I went, and I went right from there. I went to Sharna and I don't know how I found out about IO mm-hmm. and Sharna goes, I'll just put you right into Dell's class. So I didn't even know who what? he was. Wow. I had no idea who he was. I had no idea, you know, what his background was or his history was. I had no fucking idea. I'd never seen a Herald. I'd never went to see a show. And then suddenly I'm in Dell's class and I'm going, what the fuck am I doing here? Wow. But you had people like all those, all those people, like Bar- all the Baron's Barracudas people oh, that were taking that that's class. that's great. And you said, oh, that's how it's done. Oh, talking to those guys. Right. Well, once you have a, once you have a model, that's, that's super powerful. Right. I mean, you know, the way that Dell tells it, like, it took them months and months to get the first Herald together and took them, like, two weeks to get the second one together because they just, oh, that's it. Okay, just do like that. The same thing with the improvised movie, too. They did one. It was about baseball. I remember Besser telling me it was about baseball or something. And that, from then on, was kind of like the benchmark until they sort of got into a groove of it. I remember doing an improvised <clears throat> movie. I remember we did a John Cassavetes movie. Oh, and I had never seen a John Cassavetes movie. And Dell at the end went, he nailed it. I was like, all right, I guess perfect. I nailed it. And it's perfect. Uh, did probably the same thing John Cassavetes did. But I loved the idea of going in. I love what Dell Del would do he, he, like during the day. And I think this is really, I'm all about being fucking inspired these days. Like, what does it mean to be inspired? So Dell would come and go, I saw a Paisley shirt today. And I think we'll do Paisley. And you're like, let's do Paisley. Let's right. do Paisley. Right. And my drop-in class is the same way where I'll go, you know what? I saw these two people arguing on the street and a lot of gestures were made. We're going to fucking look at gestures today. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing about you, I'm sure, to these kids and the Dell to me or whatever, was he had the gravitas that sort of made that possible because we were doing things that like if i tried to do in my class people would be like you're fucking nuts really do you think that i don't know i mean i, I don't well, know you've been doing this for a really long maybe, time maybe so maybe so maybe so and, and when you go to a uh when you go to improv utopia yeah that that you teach up there you're not teaching the io thing you're teaching your thing that you're teaching that's true so That's nobody's going to go, oh, that Valancourt. You know, he, nobody's saying that. Right. It was just, I, I think sort of thinking back of like how far he pushed the limits with us was like, it was like before the Armando had sort of come around and he was sort of really on the idea of could one person lead an improv? So we would like do like chanting right. and like one person would sit in the middle and everyone would chant and like force energy into this person until they were compelled to like stand up and say whatever, blah, 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 like vomit out like uh, the Dead Poet Society, like whatever crazy thing came to them. And then we'd improvise off of that. Like that level of like Wiccan, like Mason, like thing is like so far... To me, I don't know. I you don't, couldn't probably get away with that. Yes, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. What do you know about that, though? Do you know anything about that? Uh, some. I'm but sorry. not enough. No, but and also it's not my life. Like that's He's right. drawing from his life experience. He right. was a Wiccan, yes. He was a Mason, yes. Right. He was part of the Beat Generation, yes. Right. So he had all that plus his gravitas that would that sort of like, if that guy says, hey, let's go down this crazy road, you're like, all right, yeah, right. yeah, sure. I, I love when Dell used to start a class on, and, and because it was usually like 20, 15 minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes of him just talking. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about Lenny Bruce, talking about mm-hmm. um, you know, C- Captain Beefheart, right? No, right? No? I don't know. One of those guys. Where you go, uh, no, Lord, Lord. We'll fix it. I don't know. Uh, but one of these guys that okay. was just a stand-up of that time before Mort Saul and all those other guys came in. Like he was, and, and Dell would tell the story. Dell would tell the story about doing drugs. Dell would tell the story about, and uh, Michael Golding now, who is, I don't know if you know Michael. Michael. Love him. Yeah, great. The photographs that he has found that are David Shepard's photographs. Oh, was he trying to do that, that Kickstarter? It didn't work. I know. I donated to that too. Me I too. really wanted it to work. It I'm such work. an improv nerd. If someone has like a Kickstarter like that, I'm like, yes. That's why I Let's feel about this. it too. Because and it's like it's our history. Like I feel like I 
I also donated to that one about the committee too. Right, I did too. And you, so you, you look at that and you go, this is our history. And that's what I said when I, I, I gave money and then I kind of pushed it a little bit on Facebook. I did push it on Facebook. And I did too, like, I posted it, yeah. This is, this is who we are and we are here because of that. Mm-hmm. And whether you know it or not, and I don't, and I always fight the, 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 the urge to be that guy shouting from my window, get off my lawn, mm-hmm. are you kids, what's with that noise? But there's also something about, maybe it's this. If you're in Yuxville, small little state, <laughs> I'm not gonna name, because it doesn't matter, and you don't know who Dell is, or you don't know who David Shepard is, or you don't know who Sharna is, or you don't know who Bernie Sollins is, you don't give a fuck about any of that stuff. Right. All that you know is you're learning the movie, or and none of that, none of that shit matters. Right, right. But I'm a big believer in lineage. I I am very old school in that respect. And I, uh, to sort of fast forward to now, sometimes when we're teaching or we're sort of talking, maybe mostly we're having teacher meetings or talking about teaching, um, I sort of think that there has been an evolution that's taken place amongst the teachers that they're sort of like skipping with the students. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the old days, to get off my lawn, back in the old days, we only had the word association opening. That's it, right? The word pattern opening. Right. And then it broke out and other, other openings started to come out. And we only had the set games like slideshow or right. machine or whatever. Halftime. Right, for right. sure, right? right. And right. and that's all we had. So um and we were happy to have it. But that's <laughs> but but we but we learn lessons from that. And so now our work benefits from that. Right. Right. And so but now that all seems very gauche or sort of um passe. Passe, exactly. Yeah. Passe. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like a lot of times teachers don't teach that. And I'm like, you need to those kids need those same lessons. You know what I'm saying? And I think, yes. I think when I teach the Herald, I teach them some set games because each of them has like lessons to teach us about the future. It's not about knowing how to do slideshow, but it's knowing about those skills that make slideshow that you can now use these other ways. I think that's so important. I think that we really get into some minutiae here, which I think is awesome. I think that it's really, what's that? <laughs> I'm just laughing. But yes, it's, it's true. You know, there's it's like a lot of people who are going to fast forward through this shit or go, you know what? I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. They can go to the interview I had with Jacqueline Kenny Onassis. It's a really good one. But um, the idea that looking at, say, freeze tag. Yep. Here we go. So looking at freeze tag and going, so what's going to happen is two people are going to start a scene. You're going to start a scene sometime in the night scene where the two actors in the back line is going to tag it out and assume the exact same position. Can we have a whatever, mm-hmm. a starting position? And we say it so fast. We we say it so fast, we teach it so fast, and without us really paying attention to what it is that we're teaching, mm-hmm. like why are we teaching freeze tag? What is sure. it? That, what what is it about slideshow that you get? Because ultimately, at the center of it all is one particular skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it's all about everything comes down to noticing and registering that I noticed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I look at something and I and I look at it from a bunch of different angles, and because I look at it from a bunch of different angles, I'm not stuck in what it is that I'm just seeing. I'm also going, I gotta be curious. Right. And and on that same track, I try to tell the students I, when I teach them slideshow or movie review or town meeting or whatever, I'm like, look, it's not just town meeting, it's this other thing. It's not just poetry slam, it's it's this thing, but, yeah. but what's that sort of like framework, that skeleton that we can pull out and put into different bodies? Like that's the lesson, it's right. not about coming up with crazy beat poems, like that's sort of incidental to it. That's like the, the craft that you need to get to the art, you know what I'm saying? So you have these skills now, now you guys build something else with it. Right. You know, and sometimes they'll play it by the numbers, but when they don't, I really try to hit home, like look, that's what you guys did, that's because we know how to do movies review right you know two people are on a date and then two people come out as the as the commentators this date's not going very well jim yep. he's gonna fumble oh he spilled the wine right but that's because of movie review or that's because of everyday olympics right which is a really set game everyday olympics boy some of that shit and it's interesting <laughs> to have been i think i want to say that we were the second house team i don't know why i keep saying that it just feels like we were a grime and punishment it just felt like that with mick and uh and tim meadows and madeline long and uh, Richard Label and looking at that and other people who I don't remember um, but at that time everything seemed new mm-hmm. and everything seemed exciting because mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. and the talent that was coming out you'd look at people and go where the fuck did you come from like I don't know if you know John Judd I don't 
you know, because he's in Barons Barracudas. Oh. So, you know, you remember Pasquese and you remember these other guys, but there are other guys. In, and John Judd went on to be an actor at Steppenwolf. And I mean, he's a Chicago staple. Yeah. So all those people are learning from, uh, this is what I fear. I got taught by actors. Uh-huh. Now people are being taught by improvisers. Right. Yeah. And again, I don't mean to say, I mean, the toothpaste is out of the tube, Paul. Yes. No getting that back in there. Nope. Doesn't even make sense. So you want to go, all right, but I know that there are skill sets that, that people aren't teaching other people. Right. Yes. Yes. Also, I sort of, on that same note, sort of think of it this way, too. Like when MMA first started, it was like karate versus judo. Right. Now people are training as MMA fighters. So it's a little bit of like the barbarism of specialization where they sort of like strip away other things but concentrate on this core skill or people are training specifically to be American Ninja Warriors. Uh-huh. It used to be, oh, a rock climber versus a gymnast or whatever. Uh-huh. But now it's like, oh, I train 24-7 as an American Ninja Warrior. Like that's that thing. Right. But that's why I think it's interesting about it. So I, I agree that we're sort of probably losing some pieces of it, but by the same token, it's like, this is it. It's like sort of, we just have to, it's a laser beam. We just have to make sure we aim that, aim that la- a laser beam appropriately. American Ninja Warriors. Warriors. Yes. That's that's a lot going on there. Yes, yes. Because it it's not just American. No. It's not American Ninja. Well, it's, it's from the Japanese Ninja Warrior show. Got it. Oh, I see. And so okay. now we call it American Ninja Warrior. Got it. Okay, fine, fine. I thought it just started out with something going, <laughs> no, they're no. ninjas, they're American. No, it started out with, they're Japanese ninjas. Right. So have the Japanese ninjas played the American, have the Japanese Ninja Warriors obviously played the American Ninja Warriors? They have. They've done an international competition uh-huh. where they've competed. Have yeah. you watched this? I've watched it all the time, yeah. It was, Did you go there? No, no, no. I watched it on TV, it, but it was gigantic this summer. It's sort of always been underground. It's been around for like seven or eight years. Uh-huh. But this summer, uh, one of the networks, I'm going to say NBC, put it on and it was gigantic. And it was right. gigantic. And then I was at a party and I met this guy who was on it. And I was like, oh, my God, you're an American Ninja Warrior. What's that like? How's that? What did he say? He said it was, he said it was tough. And he said the different things. He gave me a lot of really inside baseball sort of like of what happened. Would you ever How do come- that? Uh, I would, except for the fact that I know that I'm not right for it because I'm too, probably too big. It's more, it really favors more like your rock climbers. Rock climbers as a breed do the best. Uh-huh, People with that kind of background. Because it's like they're sinewy. Yeah. And yeah. it's a lot of like uh, hand and upper body strength. Right. So that's, uh, that's not as much my, my I mean, my, my strength to weight ratio isn't appropriate for that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How do you use, <laughs> do you use that in your improv? Yes. I talk about fighting all the time in my improv because I think learning how to improvise is like learning how to fight uh-huh. because you have to have the same sort of relentlessness. Like when you start a scene, you can't be like, just like in a fight, you can't be like, oh, time out, time out. I want to stop fighting for a second. Uh-huh. Like in a scene, you need the same thing. You need to have a good sense of attack on the scene. Right. Really get after it. Uh-huh. And I feel like, especially in the beginning, level one, my favorite, um, Students need to learn good habits. Right. You know, when you learn to fight, you learn how to hold your feet, you learn how to hold your hands, mm. and they're always saying, keep your hands up, keep right. your hands up, keep right. your hands up, until that becomes a habit. In the same way that in level one, I'm saying, it's about your partner. Let's talk about your partner. Give right. me information about your partner. Right. Until that becomes a habit for right. them. Right. You know? I think there's a ton of million parallels mm-hmm. um, that I use all the time. Yeah, what yeah, about yeah. Um, the martial arts just the, if you give a force like that and an equal force like that, you know, I'm, I'm getting mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. A, more of a sense of spiritualness. And mm-hmm. I think, I hope I'm not just to mix two things together, no. but the idea of in order for the best way to take, the best way to, to off, to, the best offense is taking in the energy. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. Um, yeah. I definitely use some of that for sure. Cause it's like, you know, there's this idea that, you know, to master, to master someone else is strength. To master yourself is power. Got it. You what know? does that mean to master yourself? To, like, the, in the long run, you can't control that other person in the scene. Right. You know what I'm saying? Got it. Right. So you need to master yourself. You need to be, like, you need to control your reactions. Mm-hmm. You need to be in charge of what you're doing in response to them. Because that's really what you bring to the scene. They say something and then you respond to that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's not about controlling them. It's about, oh, okay, they said this. That means this. And then I sort of give back, you know? And it's sort of like that ebb and flow. It's really like sparring, you know, where you're not trying to overcome that other person, but you're trying to respond to what's really happening in the moment. Not the fight you thought you were going to have, not the fight you plan to have, but the fight you're really having. Interesting. Interesting. Not the fight that you plan to have. Right. 
because 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 it is about someone will be someone will be in front of you, and I got my fist up like this. Someone uh, by my face because you got to keep your fist up. Mm-hmm. You got fist up by your face, and they move a little bit, and this fist up by my face thing doesn't necessarily work right now. Right, because you, you moved. You need to be responding to them in the moment. And I think a lot of people, and I think this is a, this is something that when I go on the road, I teach this a lot, and it's the idea of what are you feeling right the fuck now? Mm-hmm. What not what you thought you were going to be feeling, or whatever you thought this scene mm-hmm. was going to be, because this is happening now, and the now that is happening is happening now, right. and it's happening now. Right. And you have to be in the moment, like in a fight, you need to be in the moment. You know what I'm saying? You need to be in the moment responding to what my partner's really, my partner or opponent is really doing. As they Your move, spartner. I need to move into... I'm, I'm saying, I call it a spartner. <laughs> spartner. You see what I just did? My spartner. Your spartner. Trademark. Right, right. <laughs> but no. I, need, I need to be responding to what they're actually doing. Like, you, of course, just like any fight, you go into a fight thinking, okay, I'm going to really work the jab. I'm really going to sort of try to move a lot. Uh-huh. So you have a plan, but that plan you is... You have skills. It's not a plan. Yes. It's tools. It's tools, yeah. But, you know, I mean, haven't you ever done where you're like, you know what, tonight I'm really going to work on environment. So Got it. You just emphasis of right. what you're going to, have to concentrate on. So right. the same thing in a fight, you sort of have that, but that needs to be in responsive to the to the moment, right? Yes. And that's act, the actual moment that's happening now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the moment that's happening now. That's the moment that's happening now. I also, I've been really thinking about thinking, and what I mean by that mm-hmm. is to say uh, to be in the moment right now. Also gives me because if I'm going to say I'm going to be in the moment, just by me saying I'm going to be in the moment totally takes me out of the moment. Right. It's like when people like post a picture of like oh, I'm really loving this fantastic sunset. No, you're not. You're taking a picture of the fantastic sunset that you're sort of loving in retrospect of the picture. You're you're loving the loving of it. It's like one meta removed from actually loving the sunset. Right. Right. If you're right. really loving it, you'd be too involved with the sunset to take a picture. All of it. the things that you're really loving that you're not. Like, you could be sitting in a movie. Here you go. You sit in a movie. You're not going to take a picture of the movie that you're sitting in and enjoying the movie. Although, when I went to see the first Fast Lane, there was a little cadre of girls that were taking pictures of Paul Walker every time he came on the screen. I was like, really? Wow. All right. But this wow. was, but I should also say, this was years ago, and they were using a disposable camera. Got so you're it. Like, like, you're like, what's going on over and there? And somebody had that idea to do that. And totally. They were like, oh, yeah. Because this is like, I don't know, maybe before the internet was big. It was before the internet was big. So they couldn't just go online and see a million pictures of Paul Walker. Right. They take their own pictures of Paul Walker. In person-ish. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it's the same thing you're talking about with the sunset. Well, the, uh, no, that's exactly, that's exactly it. And uh, uh, so I travel so much and I'm able to go different places and stop uh, where everybody's doing their going to places and doing business and going and meeting people and I'm, I'm usually there by myself and I'm looking and I'm watching people just fucking interact and it is I, it is stupendous it's the best I'm an unpenitent eavesdropper I'm the worst or the best depending on what you're looking well, for okay, could you, for me what I love is because I'm, I'm the same way where if I hear somebody having a conversation you can literally walk up to that person Stand and look at your phone. It looks like you're looking at your phone mm-hmm. and totally be listening to what's going oh, on. Oh, totally. I'm the worst, like at dinner, like my wife knows we've been married a long time now, so we'll be eating dinner and then the conversation will stop. And she's right. like, all right, what is it? And I'm like, that guy over there. Right. Like, Those two, they're breaking up at that next table or whatever. Right. Um, I, uh, when I was going out, you know Jen Winters, of course you do. Uh, Jen. Who? Jen Winters. I don't. She's tall. She's an uh, improviser. You know her, Paul. Okay. Um, so she and I were dating, and we're still very, very close friends. And I would be able to just to take my eyes and do that and mm-hmm. just look not – I don't know how you measure eye look. And she would go – she would take the – she would suddenly drop her napkin and take the turn. And that's the relationship that you want. Right. That's the visual relationship that you want. You want that. Someone to notice you notice so that you don't have to tell them to notice. Right. And an improv scene where you go, okay – I'm going to say something, and I know you know what I'm going to say. I know you know what I want you to do. I know you know what I want you to do. Right. Right. Yes, that's the familiarity of like of working with someone for a while or a group of people for a while. It's like you can really play it harder and more subtle because you sort of know, okay, this is a, like this is your angle. So I'm going to like hit Karam off your angle. When you say your angle, are you talking about this is your point? This is this is like like Pete. Gardner will, yes. you know that if you do this to Pete, yes. he will do that. Yes. 
because you sort of know, like, here's the surface of him. So if I come in at this angle, it's going to reflect kind of at that angle right. a little bit. I don't know exactly right. what he's going to do, but I kind of get the the reaction. I sort of get the. It's not on. It's I'm like an attorney. I'm not totally unaware of the answer I'm going to get when I ask. This right. Question, exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit of what's exactly, going on. Exactly. Exactly. You're just being familiar with someone. But by the same token, that's sort of what I try to tell my students too. Is at the beginning, like that each person I say that each person should have their game that they're playing, their character that they are. Uh So that when I sort of say something to you, I know, oh, I'm feeding your game or you're feeding my game. How do you know, when you say the character that you are, what does that mean? Are you actually saying the actor that you are and I know that if I feed that, it will be gone, it will go through the character? Um, I'm getting very minutiae here. No, I don't think so. I don't think I'm talking about the actors. I'm, because that's sort of something that comes with time. I'm talking at the very beginning when like the first level one or whatever, I try to tell the students like, you want to give your partner a big playable gift at the top of the scene and they're going to play that gift. So if I say, oh, you're so greedy, then I know that you're going to be greedy and whatever I sort of like feed you, I'm going to try to feed that thing about you. Got it. At the same time that you're going to be playing that thing. And I'm like, whatever, I'm very sensitive. So you're going to feed that thing about me and I'm going to play that thing about me. Right. So now we've sort of established this common thing that we know about each other and we're going to use these sort of known knowns, as they say, right. to, uh, to play. Those two things rubbing up against each other. The idea of I know what it is that you want and you know what it is that I want is so different in Western culture. It seems that a major part of what, we have to, of what I have to do is say, just accept what that person is saying and fuck being clever. Mm. Just take it mm-hmm. and run. Yeah. Yeah, I think level one, one of the biggest things that, that I deal with a lot of times is people letting go of their agenda. Right. Like, because in life, we say no to protect ourselves a lot. We say no yep. to stuff. We sort of put stuff off. We try to normalize situations or whatever. And in improv, we don't want to do any of those things. No. And no. And uh, my obligation is to let you know that you can take advantage of me. Yes. You get to take advantage of me. I will not not do what it is that you want me to do. Sure. I will not not do what it is that you want me to do. Right. Right. And that sense of playfulness. Right. And then we're going to, and then ultimately that sort of thing sort of comes from us agreeing at the basic level that I'm going to try to make you look good. Right. So if you're a loser, I'm going to help you look good as a loser. Exactly. Be an interesting loser. Be a fun loser to, for people to root for or against or whatever. But I'm not going to make you look bad. I'm not going to hang you out to dry. But, but I feel like a lot of times I tell my students that improvising an improv scene is like a stage combat scene you know what i'm saying it looks like these two people are fighting but they're not they're conspiring against the audience to perpetrate this illusion of conflict so we're working together same thing here but if i if i'm the guy that has to die at the end of this fight that other guy's gonna make me look good and i'm gonna make him look good by actually dying right you know right wait let me think about this let me think about the, the conspiring i really like that idea you just inspired me uh, for a class uh, for this afternoon, I was going to do one thing, and then I might just do conspiring, conspiring. I have to remember that conspiring, um, because that's essentially what it is. We're going to make the audience. We're going to make it appear. But both of us have to be aware that who it is that we are up there is not who it is that we are. Yes. And that, when you say the agenda, I think what you're really saying is to release the self. Yes. When you walk into this space, right. but in order to release the self, you've got to, someone has to, to explain to you what self is. And right. self for me is that story that you have, that you, that you continue to hold on to, to shape who it is that you are. Right. Surprisingly, positively and negatively. Because when someone says like, uh, you're the smartest person in the world, in the same way that that person would resist, you're the dumbest person in the world. They resist being the smartest person in the world. Right. They try to normalize it. You're, yes. You're right. Sort of their sort of their sort of normal story that they're used to. Right. Is more powerful than than a compliment even. Yes. You know what I'm saying? They would rather be the same thing that they know rather than take a chance on something being awesome. And yet, if I give you, and I've said this before, if I give you a script and you're to play Hamlet. You're not gonna. You're not gonna go through the script and say, you know, this guy seems a little crazy. I would like to normalize this human being. Right, right. You're going to take it and run. But if I give you a scene and let's play with it, you know, if I give you a scene and make you crazy in a scene or paranoid in a scene, you may back away from it mm-hmm. because you may not want anybody to know that that is that. You may not want anyone to think that that might be who it is that you are. Right. That's what's thrilling and dangerous about improv is because that's what you you what you bring to it is you. What you're risking in so many ways is you. But that's the great thing about it. Like when you sort of like get a handle on the basic technique of it, 
like I tell my kids, like painting, you know, painting is not an end. Painting is a medium. It's a, it's a means. Right. And once you get a handle on how to mix paint and put paint on canvas, you can paint anything you want. Right. Same thing with improv. Once you get a handle on the basic techniques, then you can improvise anything. But, right. you know, it's, it's just, you just got to sort of go with the flow. You got to release yourself into this bigger thing. And know that there is nothing that can ever erase who you are. Right. Just because you did a really great character in an improv scene, you're not going to walk off and say, oh, my God, where's my car? Do I have a car? What's my name? You're not going to do any of that. Totally. And yet I think people really feel that they're going to lose themselves in that to the point where or do something that they're going to look at later and say, why did I why did I do that scene where I played the the molester or whatever the fuck it's going to be? And then a little bit, you go, am I a molester? <laughs> and you start gaslighting yourself. Right. And you go, am I a mol- Could I be a molester? I don't think I'm a molester. Maybe. I don't know. And then you worry. And then you go kill yourself, which you, I don't recommend. No. But it is that, it is that idea of yeah, it's, it's, the self. It's threatening to people's identity, their sense of self in yes. some way. But that's, I think that's the thing that we need to get used to in improv is just get used to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. What about, yes, I love that. But what about also this? Really, instead of just saying it happens on stage, when you walk off stage, say this concept, and this is really, I think, a, a very fucking difficult thing for people to do. Walk off stage and go, this concept that I have of who it is that I am is a concept that I have of who it is that I am. Mm. It is not who it is that I am. And I've just gotten used to playing this part of who it is that I am. Now, what's the benefit of that sort of thing? I think that when, when, it requires, when there's something in your life that requires you to change, you will change because that perception that you have of who it is that you are is not is only a perception of who it is that you are. That's true. I was just reading this morning a quote from someone about like that that nothing has an immutable identity. That we're always evolving and changing, but it's I think it's so incremental to us that we don't recognize in the moment. But as an improv, I think you know how Dell used to say that improv can change the world. I feel like it changes each of our each of our individual worlds at least. Like. I can trace who I am today directly back to beginning improv. Like it's like I was shy and sort of reserved, and which I am still in some ways. But but I also know that like I'm sort of okay. Like I you know it's all right. It's all gonna work out, and I'll figure out something to say, and you know it all. all that out, is you know? so true. It's all gonna work out, and I'll figure out something to say mm-hmm. because if I'm thinking right now of what it is that I'm going to say. Like, just all these podcast interviews that I've done. I think I've done 175 or 100. No, I was very impressed with the number. So many so of many. them. And uh, my first one was with Tom Dreesen, um, stand-up for Sinatra for 14 years, the first guy. And I had a bunch of notes sitting over here, and I didn't really have the setup that we have right now, which is very casual. Um, and I had notes, and then he just took it and ran, and I didn't have to do anything. And then as time went on, I just went, I am going to know what it is that I'm going to need to know when the time comes for me to know it. I think it's nice. I think it's uh, sort of like a herald in that respect, that it sort of takes the shape of whatever this moment is between the two of us and becomes whatever it is. Yes. And I think that, because I, 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 I had a feeling that you and I were going to have this kind of a discussion. Oh. And if we didn't, then we didn't. That's fine. There are also people that will sit in and I will say, okay, I want to talk to this person and I know it is going to be a hard conversation. Oh. And not hard, like we're getting personal, hard because we're not getting personal. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it hard. When somebody puts a governor upon that which they think that they, they put a governor on what it is that they can say, it's hard to do. Right, sure. Uh, and here's another thing. If you think that you are protecting yourself, we go back to self, it's going to be very fucking hard for you to do what it is that you're going to do. Yeah. And one more, if you're the kind of person who needs to protect themselves, you're a tough person to improvise with. Oh, hell yeah. You're a tough person to be around. Right. Right. And I think that we all, you know, we, we know the same people that I feel have blinkers on and who are saying, this is who it is that I am. And that's what I was My life is like this. They even talk that way. And I feel like I want to go, hey, remove the tie and get rid of the jacket and just fucking sit and talk to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. You have to be able to. You have to. There's a, a favorite quote, and this is sort of a terrible version of it, but you need to be able to, you know, release everything you are for the potential of being everything you can be. 
You need to release everything you are for the potential of everything that you can be. You have to do that at any moment. Not you have to, you get to do that at any yeah, moment. Yeah, totally. You get to do that at every moment. That's what's so exciting. I am drawn to, like magnetically drawn to people who are moving, people who are changing jobs, wow. people who are like getting married or getting a divorce. Those people somehow like some sort of resonance goes off and I find them. I encounter them at the supermarket or whatever uh -huh. and it's thrilling to me because it's like, oh, right. We can change our lives at any second. And that to me is like really exciting and really sort of comforting that it can all change in a second. You know, it's, it's, it's a it dream. Can, it could sound scary, but it's like, it's also very exciting. Like it can change in a second. Well, you know what it's like? I mean, when you decided to get married, mm -hmm. that's one of those moments sure. where you say, this is going, I am about to say something to someone mm -hmm. that is going to change our lives forever. Yep. Sure. And it happens then, and it happens at the other end of the marriage as well. Sure, God forbid. When you know, I when I was gonna, when I wanted to ask my wife for a divorce, I was thinking, I am about to say something that is going to shatter our lives. Mm -hmm. Shatter it, and sure enough, it shattered it. But when you're mindful of, because there's also the the that moment of. I'm watching what's happening to you. I'm feeling what's happening to you. I'm feeling what's happening to me. I'm watching this whole thing and there's something about it and, and I don't mean to be callous, but there's something about it that is also, isn't this interesting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure. You know, it's like, it's when you sort of can step back and sort of watch yourself watch it, it's, it's an interesting thing. But I think the shattering of it is terrible, but also thrilling in a way because it's like, out of this, like, there's two options. It works out or you die. Right. Like, that's it. Well, it, again, it's not one of those things where it's like, I didn't know what to do, and then I disappeared. You know? That, that doesn't happen. Right. You know what to do right. when you know what to do. You know what to do when you need to know what to do. Yep. Because that also keeps you in the moment of saying, I have the confidence. And, and it's, uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith would say this because he said, whenever I'm stuck in this situ situation or whatever, when, I'm, I'm, when I enter into something that's challenging, he says, I sit back, I lean back in my chair and I go, I cannot wait to find out how the universe is going to take care of this one. Right. And you go, that is awesome. Right. Because that's what happens. Totally. Right. That's what has to happen. That's right. it. It's got to work out. It's got to work out. It works out the way that it works out. And you can work on that solution and improve that solution or whatever. But there's going to be a solution. Like you said, you don't just like suddenly something happens and you disappear. Right. Something happens. And then guess what? The next second happens. And then <laughs> exactly. the next and the next. You yeah. know, in Zen, they have this saying, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Exactly. It all goes on. Right. Man. Rinse and repeat. It's <laughs> right. just a matter of you living your life every day, washing your hair. Yeah. And that and that. Because there's also that idea. Mitch Rouse was in the chair and he was saying, he, in the chair, the chair, he was in that chair and he was saying, one of the things that he always wanted to do was make enough money to buy a Mercedes Benz. Hmm. So he made enough money and he bought a Mercedes Benz. And then he got the feeling of, really? That's sure. all that there is? Sure. That's it? And then you forget that you have that. And then you move on to the next thing. Right. And, <clears throat> you know, I, uh, you were saying something earlier about, oh, you're really uh, thinking about being inspired lately. I think about that all the time. Um, and, uh, and so lately, I've been listening to this Tim Ferriss podcast, and, uh, this, uh, and he interviewed Tony Robbins. And uh, one of the things that he was saying was that in the long run, the thing that we really value is not things, but experiences and feelings. You know what I'm saying? So, so once you sort of get that thing... You're like, wow, you know, I've put the I've put the sort of power of the infinite into this finite thing, and it doesn't. Oh, that's not really unless fulfilling. you do say every time you get into that car, you appreciate the moment that you're in that car and driving that car. Yeah, because but that's I, really. But I think that sort of that that sort of thing of like a lot of times we've sort of, I mean, I have for sure. We've gotten oh, this is the thing. This is the thing. You know, and then once you get that thing, you're like, oh, this is just another thing. Exactly. <laughs> How that exactly. I like getting a new computer. Yeah, right? Oh, I'm going to get this new computer. I'm going to write so much more. I'm going to do all this thing. But guess what? That same person owns that same computer. It's that person that's got to, like, 
You need a new version of you more than uh, a computer. That's really great because that's really, really what it is that you're talking about. You want, you want the experience, the experience、mm. to take you to that next level, whatever that's going to be. I do know that my iMac has, did change my life and make certain things easier, and、great. also allowed me a portal to get into other avenues that I wouldn't historically have gotten into. But what you value about that is the experience of having these other opportunities, and th- more than the computer per se. Clearly, you know. So, but so if you if you see all these things as instruments or tools to that sort of bigger thing, then I think, yeah, okay, great, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that more than the thing per se. Like I love my iPhone. I waited for a long time. I had a dumb phone forever before I got a smartphone, and and. And I love it because I like I do I take notes on it. I have books on it. I have podcasts on it. It's just I love the sort of the centralness of it. But it's all those things. It's not. It's not like ah、oh, this、uh, this little brick of electronics is the thing. But it's all the things that allows me to do. All the things that enables me to do. All、right. the things that it sort of all the experiences that it brings me. Wow, we live. I, I, we live in. I've said this before. We live in an amazing fucking time. Amazing. Amazing! It's like you remember how in in the old sort of newspaper comics, Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy talking into his TV transmitter watch—that's impossible. How would no, that? No, it's、happen? not. They just made it. Right and、uh, right and 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 I don't even want to call that a phone because that's the last thing I use it for. Right. I text more than I call. Right. When someone calls me, I'm like, uh. Hello. I know. I know. And I just broke up with a girlfriend who was obsessively calling me and、oh. texting me, and I got PTSD because every time the phone rang, I'm like, Oh Jesus! Oh, where's that? Is it good? Is it what? And uh, uh, that's something that one doesn't miss when they're in a long relationship that they really like.、Uh, but it's that idea of it's a texture, or it's a computer,、mm-hmm. but it certainly isn't a phone. Right, it's sort of like yeah, it's I, it's a camera. It's way down the list. Yeah, if I had like a, like a, I think if I had like a, a iPod Touch with with Wi-Fi or whatever, I, I wouldn't miss the phone so much. Right, because I do like ninety nine percent of what I could do. Every once in a while, I'll call my wife or I'll call my kids or whatever. Do you, but do you have a landline?、Uh, we have an internet landline. Yeah, but it's still you need the internet to have your landline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're、right. we're sort of like I think we're just on the verge of like. Of getting rid of it. If our, if we had better cell reception at our house, we probably, we probably would not have a landline. Got it. 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 I do all of my promotion. I do all of my graphics.、Uh, not necessarily on the iPhone, but the iPad.、Mm-hmm. Um, I read. I take notes. Yeah. I do the Evernote thing where I keep track of my scheduling and my banking and all that stuff. Yeah. It is an amazing time. And music. What do you want to hear right now? Right. Totally. We live in a society that is like, that is based on immediate gratification. Right. Like that's. I think the amount of that that's going on is pretty amazing. Like my kids are like, if like if we're on watching TV or something and they see a commercial for a movie, they're like, let's watch that. Like, well, that doesn't come out yet. Why not? Like they don't. It's hard for them to sort of grasp. But it's like so <laughs> fascinating to me because they're like, my son is three and he's. Pretty good at getting around the iPad, you know. Right. My daughter's six, and she's totally probably as good as I am. You right. Know? Right. Right. It's a whole new thing, but I think in in the biggest picture, it still has to come back to those to those things of like that it's the experiences, and we、right. have to not lose sight of that. Well, I mean, how do you do? How do you? I don't know that you can teach that to anybody. I mean, other than expose them to the idea of how are you feeling right now? What's happening right now?、Mm-hmm. Because that ultimately everything comes down to this moment. And when I'm on my phone, I'm so not in the moment, right? And I'm I'm guilty of there's the sunset. Hey everybody, there's the sunset. I'm on a I'm on, I'm in a train from Dublin to Belfast. Hey everybody, I'm in a train from Dublin to Belfast. I did that, right? But it also has to do with me being alone, right? For sure. And you sort of want to sort of bang those memories off of somebody and sort of it's a communal experience and、That's、you know、really、that kind、true. of thing. I was listening to a crazy thing on NPR about texting and driving, and this guy's written a book about texting and driving, and he said that it, that the that the text sound triggers in us this really deep, deep, deep primordial sort of community thing that we respond to it in a disproportionately strong way. It's like a tap on the shoulder, and it could be either danger or important social information that you need to know from the caveman days, and that's why it's so magnetic and so dangerous. Right. You know, I was like, holy. Yeah. It really, really is. I mean, again, I'm talking about the PTSD, and every time the phone rang, and I'm like, "What did I do? My mom's going to be mad. 
That's what it is. Right. It's not that this woman is calling me. It's that primordial, you know, that primordial business from mom right. going, I did something wrong. I got caught. Right. I did something wrong. But I got does, caught. The, does the virtual sense of community on Facebook equal the real sense of community of being at a restaurant with your friends eating dinner? Like, does that, is that count? I think that's something we'll find out in the long run. People seem to say no, you know? It's interesting because when you say that, when you said getting together at dinner, I immediately went to the cat and fiddle mm. and a bunch of us. Which you won't very often. <laughs> I know maybe that's why, you know, because it's going out, it's closing. Yeah. But I think about the sense of community that we have out here uh, and uh, out here being in Los Angeles, uh, out here and all these people that have come out here. Because I really believe that when somebody says, should I go to L.A. or should I go to, you know, should I go to L.A., Chicago, New York to take improv classes? And I used to say Chicago. But right. I don't say Chicago because everybody's out here. Mm -hmm. All the great teachers are out here, I think, in L.A. I agree. It's, been, it's definitely been sort of diffused because there wasn't a, a landing pad, really, for people out here. I'll say when I first opened the Improv Olympic out here, that idea of community like really exploded in my consciousness because it was like, I was like, well, we're going to open the Improv Olympic, and I put some ads out, and then the word got out. I don't know how, like I was teaching, talking to new students or whatever, and I had, you know, the other guys from Bitter Noah with me or whatever, but all of a sudden, you know, Dave Keckner's there and Steve Carell's there and Pete Holney and Neil Flynn. And like, where are these guys coming from? But they were like, it was like, a, exactly. and they were like, exactly. so it, it, it was like a lightning rod that attracted all these, all these expatriates to back to a community. Right. And that was really amazing and really gratifying to see people have this landing pad and and now i think it really is helpful to people whether it's second city or whether it's io or ucb or whatever that these people have this sort of community and this sort of landing pad to come and be a part of uh you know when they get out here i it, it helped me i mean i left here i remember i left la i left chicago uh on january uh 5th and i got here Jan january 15th it'll be 20 uh it'll be 20 years uh, 2015, and I remember getting out of my car. I remember meeting Ian, seeing even Go Ian Gomez, and uh, and I forgot who else. But Ian met me. We had lunch, and then that evening, I was in Santa Monica working with all these uh, Second City alumni. And the sense of I don't think I, I think that we need to really really look at the sense of community. And and again, you know, the, the cats are out of the bag. The, the, we have the iPhones. They do take up a lot of our time mm -hmm. and a lot of our energy. But it also is about that sense of community, about going out and doing that show. Mm -hmm. Do you get out a lot? Um, I see you mostly at I.O. At yeah, bar, I mean, at, I think NHL that's classes. kind of like my major outing. Like, I, you know, I have kids and I have a wife and we're both busy. So when we get to, you know, my kids go to sleep at 730. And so, like, if, if I go out, it's usually after that. And, but then here's the thing. They don't care how late I'm out. They're up at 6.30 no matter what. Right. So, you know, it's it's priorities. Like, I know that if I if I go out to do a show and I'm going to be out late, that means I'm not going to get to work out the next morning, which right. is important to me. And so, you know, it's 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 trade-offs. It's trade-offs. Right. Going to do shows and going to see movies are my two big indulgences that I try to do whenever I can. I love performing so much. I just love me it too. so much. Me too. And the idea of being able to perform and to teach, I think that it's a, it's a constant motion machine. The idea that I'm going to try this, I'm going to look at that. Oh, look what I did! I teach that, and now I'm going to play that out. Sure, absolutely. I definitely think that it's a feedback loop because when you, when I know, I know that when I'm doing a show, and I know that students of mine are in the audience, that's like even I'm like, oh, I want to do even better. I want to really sort of show that I'm not a hypocrite. Well, know? it's also that I'm like, it. you want to go because what you you're like me. You teach what works for you. Yes, and and that's one of the great things about having done what we've done for so long is we get to go, okay, I'm going to teach what IO wants me to teach, but I'm also going to infuse it with that, which I know works for me. And to be able to, and then, so I can get up on stage and go, this is a living art form. It is a, and, and what I'm teaching you, you can do as well. Mm -hmm. And not mm -hmm. only that, you're going to do it better because you're learning this from fresh, with fresh eyes. Right. And I try to, and when we're talking about shows and stuff and, you know, in my class, I always try to ask my students, did you see stuff that we're working on in class in the show? 
And they say, yes, sometimes, yes, sometimes, no. And I say, well, okay, they didn't do that. How did that work out for them? Right. They said, oh, was, they struggled or whatever. And you're like, okay, great. You get to see that. And like when they come and see me in a show, we talk after, of course, and they're, they're always like, oh, great job. You know, they always say that. But then I say, did you think that I did it the way that we do it in class? And they say, yes. And I think that's really important to me. It's, it, I it think, is. yeah. And, and also in the conversation that you're having with them, there, there has to be this feeling of you're asking them not so you get compliments. Mm -hmm. You're asking them because you are, and this is re I'm thinking about this so much lately. Everything, there is no such thing as a product. Everything is process. We watch the process and the process, the product is the process. Mm -hmm. And us teaching the class is a process as well. Us teaching the class and then performing is a process as well. Them doing the scenes not the way that you talked about it in a class is part of the process as well and it's part of the product as well. Mm -hmm. And so if we start to redefine the word process to say, it's, process sounds like it's incomplete, but it's complete. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a product in the same way that a basketball game is a product. You know, it is like it is a product only in retrospect. That's this experience. If I want to sort of encapsulate this experience as like, oh, I went and saw that game that night or I went and saw that show that night. But that's only in retrospect as it's happening. It's not like showing a movie that's set or it's not like showing a painting that's done. You know, it's like it's you're watching the process unfold. But that's that's what the product is, is this is this experience, this shared experience, which is why. I think improv has this really hard time translating to, or long form at least, has a hard time translating to TV because it's like it loses some of that immediacy of like, I don't know, you know, unless you're watching, when you're, you know, like watching, watching a show live and watching a show on video or whatever is totally different. But it's also very interesting if you're watching, because I know, I know when Eric Honeycutt and I have done we did one show and they lobbed us up mm. and they had two cameras and then they edited it together. Uh, it's great to watch because oh. I think, oh, he did that. I said that because he did that. We had this going that I didn't notice that we had before. And you really start to see the process of the show, but also the process of the actors processing the product that is their mm -hmm. action. So do you, do you think that sort of that, <laughs> that sort of like better rendition of it Better, like like more oh, rendition sort of like, being what I'm watching. Yeah, it's because it's like mic'd up and cameras and cutting the cameras and sort of like you know sort of manipulating it using the tools that we use for video. Do you think that that improves the experience? Um, for me, I'm not. I don't intend that to be something that is going to be shown at shown at the AMC. Uh -huh. I will. I will. The, the most people that watch it are my students. Yeah. Where I would say, you want to see this in action. This is what. This is how it works. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they sit and I watch it, and then we go, how'd that work out? What'd you think? And But the fun, also the fun thing is, and I talked to John Lear. Do you know John? I do. Yeah. Well, tangentially, I know him just a little bit, but he was in a show, when I first got to Chicago, I watched this show called The Chris Hogan Show. Yes. That blew my fucking God, mind. Hogan, man. And like cracked me open like an egg, and I was just like, yes! Like, because I was living out in Naperville, commuting to Chicago, commuting to Northwestern, and someone had turned me on to the show and I was just like you know it's like so it's such a hard commute and stuff and and I saw the show and I was like that that's a sign I've done the right thing this is fucking amazing it wow. was like literally the best show I'd ever seen what I remind me what it was it was basically Chris Hogan and John Lair and not so different than than the TJ and Dave show really uh -huh. they would come out on stage and they would uh talk a little bit and then it would just sort of like morph into the first scene like their sort of interaction with the audience would sort of suddenly become their interaction between the two of them something i'm saying to the audience my partner responds to and suddenly we're into this and it was just sort of like these uh like one scene would transform into the next scene would transform into the next scene these seamless transitions right was crazy. Were they were they IO guys? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Because I, I don't I, know. <coughs> well, the, the reason I brought up John was I I was saying we're talking about his brain, huh. our brain, the brain, the brain, and we improvisers, artists, we get to celebrate our fucking brain, you know. Yeah. So when I'm watching a show that I did, I look at that and I go, that's really great. I love what I love that choice that I made. I really, really love that choice that I made. And to be able to say, I love that choice that I made. And fuck you if you say that that you know pride comes before the fall, or whatever you want to say about that. I believe I get to take that in and own that and celebrate that move. I 
I think sort of watching tape also, I think for sure that. And then also I think that it's really interesting when you watch a tape of a show that you haven't seen in a long time or like something really old. Like someone was asking me about Pete and Paul and I had a, I have a couple on tapes. So I post them to like private links on YouTube or whatever. And, and, uh, and I, so as a consequence of that, I was like watching them a little bit. And then to see yourself saying things like where you surprise yourself, you're like, oh my gosh. And that's really... That's really sort of back to you want to bring it around. Here we go. Is that's sort of like back to what we were talking about earlier about your your identity and yourself and being in the moment. Like in that moment, I thought of that thing that in this moment now, the same guy looking back at that moment, I didn't think of that. And I surprised myself. I totally understand. That's what you're pretty about. amazing. I totally understand. And I think that we need to celebrate that more and and people have to do that more but i i I'm not so I, yeah but but i believe that people don't because they say oh that's too egotistical but i want to say if you're not going to celebrate that which you've done no one else is going to throw you a party that's a party that you get to have for yourself and to say i have come a really long way i have understood this art form in a very sophisticated way and not only that but I have also learned how to interact with people so that I can be surprised at being surprised. I can let somebody else's information inspire me in a way that I'm going to look at this five years from now and go, how the fuck did I think about that? Right. You say things to you like, I tell my kids sometimes that improv is like truth serum. You say this thing that you didn't expect to say. Right. And that's great. Hang on to that feeling. Use right. that as a as a as a guidance back to um, you know I did a scene because I this is what I do like uh, when I was, I was just in Tucson and I worked with six actors in a show and they do mostly short form and they don't know me uh, and I taught a few of them and we had a show and each person got seven minutes of a scene with me in front of oh, an audience wow. which is really really fun to do because I love it and they were really good and I didn't know them and and more than half, I've never played with them, never had a fucking discussion with them. Right. It's like, we're going to come up here, we're going to do what Carrie and I do, which is move the chairs, sit down, and that's the beginning and of the scene. And did you transform scenes? Or just no, one, no. one the scene? It was like one, one up with Mary, and uh, a seven-minute scene with wow. Mary, a seven-minute scene with Chris, like just a seven-minute scene. And I did a seven-minute scene with this woman, Gretchen, and she did this scene where she was... I, I, I was playing a persnickety woman at, a, at an office and she was playing, and I hate when people talk about improv scenes, but she was playing this slacker and I'm like, you better do something, Susan, or he's going to come out and he's going to see you. And it, it raised itself up to, I had a swear jar and, you know, putting money in the swear jar. And she goes, you got to, why, why don't you, you know, what are you going to do with the money in the swear jar? You know what you should do? You should fuck an animal. And the audience went, whoa. And later on, Gretchen said, I would never have said that. But I said that, and I'm so glad I fucking said that. Because in a way, she goes, I would never say that. But this is not just truth serum. It's also dream serum. Right, And it's also superpower serum. Right. And also, she needs to to be, she's in that place where she can say it, and she doesn't feel like she's going to walk off stage, and people are like, there goes Gretchen, the animal fucker, or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's a safe place. Yeah, she's sort of able to get to the other side of that idea. That's Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and to be able to go, in that moment, you were an actor. In that moment, you were acting. Mm-hmm. In that moment, you left self outside of the room. Yeah. That's super exciting. That's super thrilling. It's exciting. It is exciting. And she can't unfeel that feeling. Right. That's it. I always try to, the feeling of it, the kinesthetic feeling of it, I think is super important. And when my kids like hit something, I always like try to stop and really hang a lantern on. Like, look, see that? Feel that feeling. Remember that feeling. Let that be like a like a thing inside of you. you can always navigate back towards because that's what you need to. That's what you need to be always navigating back towards that infinite feeling. That feeling is the default. All other feeling is aberration. Mm. That feeling that you felt, that thing, that ping, that sound, that mm-hmm. feeling in that moment that we're about that we're talking about right now mm-hmm. that you that's fresh in your mind. That's what you want. That's the foundation. Everything else is not that. Right. You're always trying to navigate back towards truth. Like that's a true moment you're trying to navigate back towards truth. Absolutely. Keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the navigating back to truth, because you go, whose truth is that? And that's a tough thing to teach somebody too, to say, to really say the difference between the character and the actor. The actor is the thing that's directing and driving the character. And anybody who says my character wouldn't do that, mm. we need to sit down and have a motherfucking talk about that. I know. Dell used to say very specifically, don't let your character get in the way of the scene. Yeah. And that's super important. Like your character your character wouldn't do that well you know what he would yeah because you're an improviser and you need to fucking get it together and do your job right unless your character is written down on this thing called a script right and then your character may or may not do that here's another thing I, re- I clearly remember Dell stopping a scene and going um, yelling at me like stop acting I'm playing a character it's like don't don't and I'm going don't 
how do I don't? How do I not play a character? And but he would say things like, "Wear your character lightly, like a boater." You know, the straw hat. Totally, Harold guidelines for sure. Right. And be ready to get rid of it at any second. Exactly. But here's the thing: is that, but that, what people need to realize is like, it's all opportunities. Like, if I come in and I say, "Look, I'm totally afraid of heights. I'm not going up this ladder," and someone's like, "Look, we got to go up this ladder. It's our only means of escape." Then guess what? You go up that ladder, and that's interesting because your character gets under pressure, and now there's a new evolution of your character. Like, that's all opportunities if we greet them all as opportunities. Yes. If we say, you know, and that's the thing that there is no, especially in improv, there's no permanent sense of identity. It's constantly evolving. <sighs> right. 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 And you get to and again, you don't walk off stage saying, oh, I, I'm, you know, uh, I've, uh, I'm in this scene. I married this woman and then walk off stage and have to call your wife up. Right. Right. Totally. It's all in also in the, in the Herald guidelines. It's all toilet paper art. Exactly. You know saying? Boom, next sheet, next sheet, next sheet. Just keep going. And I mentioned to Mitch that I met this woman on an airplane and she born again, Christian, you know, not the kind of person that I go camping with. Um, not that I'd go camping, but she was saying, so describe to me what, what you're really describing what you're doing, because it really sounds like you're just getting paid to pretend. And I went, at first I was like, how dare you say pretend? And I thought, that's really what the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. It really is pretend. Mm-hmm. With the most basic of traffic rules. Clearly. Clearly. And, and no, no, because I, I think that, uh, that if I was to improvise with that woman, she, it would be impossible for her to, to improvise because she cannot, she is the type of person that not only does not, I don't know about this, but maybe does not have faith in who it is that she is because she clings her faith onto a higher power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that. Yeah. True. And so she'd be afraid of that which she'd lose. Again, the sense of self is right. so interesting to me. Sure. Let's end there. All right, then. It's not going to get better in my rides here. You hear it? <laughs> the truck? Stopping right in front of my house. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.